When you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and dying and you've taken all the potions you had left and you feel like you are doomed because the demon you set loose is coming after you and you can smell its breath. Don't ever give up. Welcome to the Real Point Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Thornsberg, and joining me today is... Jason and Paul Hart. Noah Carden. And Chris Hammond. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the ridiculous amount of preparation you may want to do to prepare for your role-playing games. That's right, Adam. We are delving into the often overlooked realm of the pre-gaming GM or Game Master. For many games, it is days of work for hours of gameplay. Enjoy our inaugural podcast. We'll first discuss what you'll need to create your gaming world. So, guys, what do you use to create your role-playing worlds? That is an excellent question, Adam. A lot of prep time is really my my go to. Like I will I will sit there and I'll just think of what we need to like what I'm trying to accomplish with my game and what I want to like obviously, you know, the system and all that and I'm gonna be running it in, things like that, and then just kind of go from there. Like what I wanna accomplish with the game, the story I wanna tell, and then like any sort of fine tuning that goes into that what little bit of research I might need to do if I'm doing like a, a pre-generated scenario or a lot more research if I'm going to be running an, an original kind of thing to make sure that it all makes sense in my mind and make sure that it can make sense to the player's mind when I run it. I have a question about that, actually. So you start with your seed, basically a seed idea? Yeah, whenever I, I want to run an adventure or something like that, I want to think of, like, chorus idea or, like, the baseline of the game first and then kind of build from there. Right, that's fair. So, like, a, um, in this case, it would be something like uh, if you're playing Knights Black Agents or you would kind of pick the genre of spy fiction? Yeah, it'd, it'd be something like that. Or if I was playing Eclipse Phase or something like that, how the sort of like the mission I want to put a firewall team into or something like that. So with the one big sort of Eclipse Phase things I've done so far is I want to do a sort of amnesia story inside of a bunker in the TQZ kind of deal. And then I'll paint that with, with some stuff over top of that. I actually had to cut down a lot of my prep time since I'm a dad. So I do a lot of prepared stuff like Pathfinder modules and that sort of thing. But even with that, you've got to do the maps. You've got to create backstories. It's not, you know, they don't give you everything. And even when you do do it, like follow the rules and follow the book, your characters are always going to go off script and just, you know, try to skip everything in there. So you have to have other routes for the adventurers planned out and be able to transition well, even when they don't want to do what, the module set up to do i draw up maps i plan things i've got little figures it's it, it, it's a lot of prep work typically uh three or four days before the game and we do a lot of email stuff too so i don't like dealing with the gear and stuff like that so we have like grids for all the gear and stuff they have and how much they sold and it worked out to wait so you know how much weights on people and i've got random uh generators for weather and it just it's just, it's very, very complex. I've got a calendar set aside just so I know what day, uh, you know, it is and what the weather is supposed to be that day. And, oh, wow. uh, and, and then when they're on like islands and stuff, you have to roll disease checks if they're not sleeping in camp. <laughs> wow. It goes Jesus, man. 35%. Oh, yeah, no. And then, you know, certain weather conditions, they get uh, fatigued if it's in the middle of the day and it's severely hot. 
So you've got to have all the time and date and stuff down. And yeah, so it gets complex pretty quick. Um, I, I applaud you, sir. There's, <laughs> there have been some scenarios I've tried to run in Deadlands, Deadlands Reloaded, where like, depending on where you're at, you'll get like certain types of like effects based off of the, the fear effect that's being put over by like the big bads of the, the game. So like, if you're out in California, you're constantly have to deal with famine and stuff like that. So your rations will oh, go cool. bad quicker and that keeping track of that stuff is a handful. I've got a stack of stuff, and I just I just go through it before each game just to familiarize myself with it. To a certain degree, it helps, but it also gets overly complicated pretty quick, and I, quite frankly, I just skip over things every now and again. Yeah. Um, but I've got a guy I game with, and he, he has particular Latin phrases for every spell cast, and he knows them all. Um, which is a bit far, but he, he, he knows them all and he does, he does all the voices for all the NPCs and he does like regional dialects, which makes it fun, but it's also like, holy crap, how long did you prepare for this? <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't go that far and I don't have time for that. So I do the best I can. Like if there's a, if there's a gnome, I always flash back to like, mm, I'm a root beer gnome. Like I do like really dumb voices. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that's about half the fun. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the prep work really, as far as character development, is great, but it also, um, you can over-prepare and then you just waste the whole backstory on a character that didn't spend any time on. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat with doing the uh, parenting deal, especially with the second child now. Even beforehand, I'm kind of starting out in this after a long break, so I've been relying on other scenarios. What I find that I have to do is I will read them, and then I will reread them and make notes. And if it's in a PDF format, I oftentimes go through for highlighter. And especially if it's a game with gumshoe, I'll, which is based on point spins and, you know, you're investigating a crime scene. If you use forensics here, you would get this type of clue. I will go through the passage and highlight everything. Recently, I've kind of decided that Adobe is a pretty decent tool for that, too where you can just highlight text and save it in the PDF file. I'll spend, well, however long the scenario is, and go through and just highlight everything that is important. But at the same time, I try not to rely on the text, I guess you say, too much because there's a certain point where I'm just reading a book to you. That's why I highlight. That will just kind of give me the bullet points, and then I can jump off from that point on. I'm working on something now that you do, but my prep time's a little lighter, I, I would assume. Yeah, when you start adding all the space stuff, it takes it, it just becomes like chess. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna say to all the other potential people listening to this, I basically do five minutes of prep. <laughs> like I, I show up with an idea, and I have a, a few character names, and that's where where I go. It just it really depends on the system you use. These guys, you guys are talking about D and D and Trail of Cthulhu, like Pathfinder style gumshoes games in Eclipse Space. These are all really high-intensity games that uh, do require a lot of work, and that's that's all cool. But uh, there are ways to kind of go around that. Like, I usually work other indie games, like Dungeon World and... Um, that's a good one. Yeah, Monsters on the Challenge things, so... Right. Like they're, they're a little more abstract, which is great, because you can fuck around more. <laughs> Though, even then, like, it, it's all about how you frame the game itself. Like, I, I came up with an Eclipse Space scenario, which is basically you randomly generate your plot as you go in and that that'll add a lot of that would basically mean that you have one session where you're just sticking around with layers and the next session is the one that really requires a lot of work because you have to work with the details that you've generated so there's a lot of ways to like prep a session 
I think what matters the most is is talking with your players and trying to set the tone of the game first. And the best part about preparation is making sure you have good players show up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. To kind of spare this along, regardless of whether it's a scenario you create yourself or one that has been pre-prepared, the GM needs to know what's going on in the story, otherwise it's going to meander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, especially mainly if you're working on like something kind of predetermined. You want to you want to get into that player familiarity, how everybody's going to be to be playing the characters and stuff like that, and how they kind of work with each other and things. Right. I mean, that's the most important thing, kind of like building a culture in your group. And with the games I play, it's really easy to like get on a forum and break a Pathfinder character. If you play like a summoner, you can just own everything and just be a little demigod at level one. You know, if you build it right. So you need people that aren't going to like just bend the rules like that. And it's really hard to deal with those in game if you don't, uh, without changing the story a whole lot, because certain certain characters and classes, especially on the non-mainstream characters and classes with the games I play, it's real easy to be completely broken and just, you know, it's no fun if you're just running through and you're killing like everything you're up against by yourself and the rest of the party just, you know, watching. <laughs> um, right. You're talking about knowing your players. We have uh, particularly game with one person which <laughs> he, he breaks everything. He's a, he's a gun nut. We love him to death. But he's also apparently a giant, like everybody else. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're tiny, Noah. Um, yeah, I'm discovering that now. Great. We call him Darth. His name's Mika. You played with him, Jason, yep. on that one scenario, and you can see how he's kind of eccentric. I've kind of developed my own strategy and preparation to deal with these types of issues. And any player, really, it goes beyond what I think the normal progression of the story will be. And you can call me railroady. And there's ways that I can get around this. But what I'd like to do, I have my, let's say for one part of this uh, scenario, I have my own set idea of the events that are going to happen and what needs to happen to go on to the next leg of the adventure. I try to be familiar enough with the content to where if you go to a bar instead of immediately going to the questionable fellow's apartment that you will at least run into that character and get that info dump of information regardless if you meet him in the apartment like the uh, scenario predicted you would or you run into him as you're fleeing the apartment or you meet him in a jail cell or whatnot. Just I try to make sure all points are tying back to the way the story is going. So whether you deviate too far, I'm kind of always going to be pulling you along. Maybe that's giving up a lot of player agency by always streamlining everything in a certain direction. But at this point, that's what works best for me. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the thing. Like, as a DM, you're sort of doing a dance of uh, running people on the rails while they don't think they're being railroaded. Right. So how I tend to think um, I tend to like I'll kind of try and run it through my head with the players that I know I'm going to be running it for and try and predict what they're going to do in the scenario so I can kind of have answers for that but that's really only going to take you so far so you have to be able to kind of land on your feet when they you know may not pull the rug out from underneath you but they tug at it the the big thing for me is, you know, you've got these characters that have, like, you know, 18 strength. Nobody in the group has 18 strength, except for my twin brother, who's ridiculous. But, you know, in, in the intelligence, you always look at your character. Is that what your character would do with an 18 intelligence, you know, run right into this obvious trap? 
so you have to kind of uh, every now and again I, I point out like okay so is this what your character would do or is this something you just want to do on your own and that kind of lets them check and be like oh no actually we don't want to do this <laughs> are you so, sure you want to do that <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean it's, it's fine and you know if they do something that's off book and but it's all all about like what their character would do I'm completely fine with it but if they're just doing stuff that's not their build and not their character it's kind of you, you have to kind of keep pointing things out so is this really what you want to do are you sure i mean it's fine just just so you know uh last last chance <laughs> yeah is that your final answer sort of thing <laughs> yeah. yeah so i i we're, we're kind of getting into a realm of like trying to predict player stuff so i think we, we might have gotten a little off topic but when creating a a, a game world like you're what do you what what kind of stuff do you guys try to do prep wise i mean jason mentioned getting maps and stuff ready i know chris said he does look very little prep initially but then with like some certain follow-up games he'll have to do a bit more so like what kind of stuff do you guys try to do well i usually go for ideas i have a plan for uh apocalypse world that i'm working on where it's just like i pick one specific thing um in this case there are these weird horses horse statues up in montana my entire plot synopsis is basically these things move now and it's the apocalypse so you just kind of build from there and see how these people work basically when you're creating a world you should focus on one specific at least for me i focus on one specific bit of flavor and then i throw that into the genre and i try to have whatever genre be tailored specifically to that i I always find like the best stories are the ones that are the tightest told Mm -hmm. right totally I, like I said before, I do I do pre-made stuff just to save time because I don't have a whole lot of time for the extra stuff. But that doesn't mean like you can't add to it. There's a lot of sounds and stuff you can find online to like you know put in if there's a if you're in a tavern you can do like tavern noises and just have that playing so it adds a little bit of feel to the campaign. Now my um, air conditioner always kicks on like every time I start doing that, um, <laughs> but. Because um, we always play in my Florida room, and it's right next to the AC unit. But you, it, it, normally, it should work better than that. But for even for the pre-made stuff, I mean, you can add stuff to it to make the gameplay better, make it so it's just not cut and paste. And another comment on this, and this is the last thing I'll say on this topic, is the um, Obsidian Portal site. Um, if you have a player take notes and then upload all the stuff, the story kind of keeps telling itself there and you can look back and tie something in from a previous session. It just saves me a lot of time by having someone else take notes on the game and then upload it online. Cool. Yeah, that's useful. Um, I will, I'll take a little um, mention with like the, the using sound effects and music and stuff like that. I did a, um, the star Wars edge of the empire beginner game. So it's like the box set that comes with like, very basic version of the rules of like the huge FFG book and all that. Um, I did a, a, a run through of that with my old group and I downloaded a bunch of the, the original trilogy, like, um, uh, soundtracks and would play certain music. So like they, they start out running into like a cantina. So I would play some of the cantina music and stuff like that from star Wars. And then when they have to like the, the final scene is like an escape from the planet. So they're having to like, you know, get, uh, fix their hyperdrive while they're escaping from some tie fighters. So there was like certain music I would use for like, like the asteroid field music from Empire Strikes Back and stuff like that for when they're flying around and stuff like that to kind of help set the tone and maybe get a little bit more excitement from the players as, you know, they're, 
they're racing against time and all that. And for like original scenarios and stuff like that, like I said, my biggest thing for creating like original scenarios and prepping for them is the byline pretty much the, the, the elevator pitch and then kind of building off of that. So like, like I said, my close phase game, which is like in a, a, an amnesia story set in a TQZ where you wake up in a bunker. It's basically sort of a clip phase mixed with like a little bit of like doom, the old video game and kind of growing off of that. So doing some research on like stuff you'd find in the TQZ and then like doing, trying to adapt certain things to make it kind of still feel like a clip phase, but then still be able to make it, you know, kind of give those nods to some of the other stuff that I want to do with it and things like that. So just a little bit of research here and there and then kind of leaving it up to the players. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like we, we keep kind of bouncing back to this, but you've always got to worry about over-preparing, getting lost in your notes. You need to have maybe just stick to certain genre guide guidelines. And like with that, with Noah, your thing has a, a lot of post-apocalyptic feel feeling to it as right. And, even more so than normal eclipse phase. So, like, maybe have a movie night and look at stuff and mm-hmm. kind of just take the tone from those games, those things. Yeah, totally. It's good. Uh, what about, as far as we mentioned rules beforehand, and I find that whenever I'm running a game, I'm expecting to happen, I will double-check the rules. Like, say, for example, in, in a gumshoe system, there's a chase going on. I will go ahead and refresh myself on the chase rules so there's not going to be that awkward pause where i'm like okay guys hold on a second i'm gonna open a book okay yeah it says here on page 87 such and such so just being being able to to row with it if as a um, as a gm or keeper or whatever you want to call yourself knowing your npc spells has been a big help for me too i i've even went as far as to print them out on separate sheets of paper or make note cards so where i can readily access that if i'm going to have a a character like cast shriveling on you or something like that or summon a bayaki so just having those available to you to where you can bounce off seamlessly through the action is great to have Definitely. I think I've known people to use post-its. Like, they'll just write everything down on post-its and put it in whatever book they're using and like, mm-hmm. really small print. Um, yeah, but they don't stick well sometimes, so the problem is they lose the note. <laughs> and yeah. And they're okay. Um, you know, and I, I, that's where I, you know, occasionally I do look stuff up and it sucks, but, you know, I'll be like, oh, okay, I don't remember what this does. Let me look it up real quick. And that always sucks when you have to pause the game to do something like that. Right. If you can line it up with like a bathroom break or something, it works really well. <laughs> right. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan of Google Drive for that personally. Just like finding the notes you need, throwing up, throwing up, throwing them up in their own drive, and uh, moving on that way. I, I just want to say, Jason, holy shit, you are old school when it comes to gaming. I really am. Yeah. I, you Damn. know, I've I, I played some of the stuff. I played. Uh, well, I started back out in like second edition D and D, uh, and played up from there. And, uh, yeah, I'm very, very old school. I've played Dungeon World, which is really nice because it simplifies everything. You know, I've played a couple other things. I've played uh, uh, Vampire the Masquerade back in the day. And, you know, I've played some Star Wars. And uh, um, But, yeah, I'm pretty old school, you know, which is fine because I don't ever have to learn anything new. It all pretty much stays the same. They just change the rules slightly. It's kind of like Order of the Stick, you know. Like, yeah. You know, um, the rules and uh, things get weird, but it's never... It's always the same thing. The changes really aren't that different. Um, yeah. I guess to sign off this episode, uh, thank you guys for listening. My name is Adam Thornsberg. Jason Apollo Hart. And I'm Noah Card. Chris Hammond. 
Also, a special thanks to Ghost Mice for allowing us to use their song Critical Hit for both our intro and outro of the podcast. Thank you, guys. Y'all rock. So how bad did it smell? Not as bad as you think, but still kind of bad. There is a smell. Yeah, There's a, There is a, a noticeable odor, especially after three days. Uh, On a scale of one to ten, how neckbeard was it? Oh, jeez. I'm going to go with a nine. Damn, that's that's pretty neckbeard. There, it, you see, there's there's um, a lot of fedoras... And utilicilts, oh. beards. Yeah, we had um, me and a couple. Well, it wasn't really me, but it was a couple of the other people that were there, like our PPR group kind of people. They had a game where they'd have they basically they'd point out like utilicilts and fedoras and stuff like that, and they'd tally up points. And if you get like certain amounts and stuff like that, so if you get like combos of like a bunch of different stuff, so like sandals with socks, and then like a utilicilt and yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, I think my favorite thing about role playing as a, as like a community is it makes me feel fashionable. <laughs> it, it really, it's good I, for ego. I mean, I'm a middle aged balding male, and it makes me feel good every time I go there. Yes. Yeah. Like you're just straight up like prime material. You are the handsomest man at Gen Con. And I only I had I didn't have the prerequisite one person laying on a stretcher because they've like gone too hard without enough water and they just kind of passed out so happens every year how every year how the um, fuck does okay. that happen i mean <laughs> they just that's well, that's doable honestly a lot of times they're heavier set people okay that then don't drink enough water so they go too hard and they don't eat anything and then they just pass so, out in a hallway or in the exhibit hall which is really dangerous when you're deep in a dark dungeon and the cleric's down and diet and you've taken all the potions you had left and you feel like you are doomed because the demon you set loose is coming after you and you can smell its breath. Don't ever give up. Welcome to the Real Point Exchange Podcast Gen Con Wrap-Up. I am your host, Adam Thornsberg, and joining me today is... Jason Apollo Hart. Noah Carden. And Chris Hammond. Okay, so... Um, this is our, our post Gen Con episode as mainly myself went to Gen Con, but then Adam and Jason managed to, to run up there for the, the final day Sunday. And Chris, unfortunately, um, has not managed to make a Gen Con yet, but hopefully he can get there one year because that'd be awesome. And it's super fun. Yes. So Gen Con, the biggest tabletop gaming convention in the country, probably the world, I think. Um, held in Indianapolis. How many people are there this year? I want to say 61,000 people, which is like quadruple capacity, I think, for that convention center. Yeah, and I've heard it's in the 60,000s. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. So, yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people. 
a lot of nerds, a lot of stinky, smelly nerds. Um, <laughs> but still better smelling than some anime conventions I've been to. I'm just going to put that out there right now. <laughs> it's not the worst. So uh, what did they hand out this year at the door? Like normally they hand out like a bag of stuff, right? Uh, this year, I'm not sure. I saw a bunch of people wandering around with like that not quite canvas kind of material that like that really cheap thin canvas i saw a lot of people walking around with those bags like that this year but i don't know if that was something at the door or if that was a like one of the bigger exhibit people doing something or not that's i, I think three years ago they handed out like uh, oh what was the name rift everyone got a copy of the rift online video game hmm. um, and they used to give out, like, better stuff than that, I was told. But they were like, yeah, this is just, like, a free online uh, download. <laughs> I'm not real sure. I try – I usually try not to, to go to the exhibit hall, like, right when it opens on the first day because that's, like, the opening ceremonies. 10 o'clock on uh, Thursday, they open up the exhibit hall um, so everybody can get in there and get all of their, their cool swag and all that. The opening um, dice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the opening dice roll, which they they have mentioned, doesn't really mean anything. It's just a number that they can roll. Yay! Yeah, so the first day, Thursday, um, I actually got up there Wednesday because I tried to get there a day early so I'm not rushing around trying to get caught up and do stuff. Um, Got up there, got my badge at Will Call, um, and then just kind of hung out, got situated in our room, uh, me and my friend Richard. And, and yeah, so first day was real calm. Thursday, the the actual first day of the convention, I actually actually cosplayed the first day. I got a Dallas from Payday Two cosplay set up, so I went and did that. I actually met up with Ross and a couple other people from the RPBR uh, fan group out front of the exhibit hall because he wanted to go get his copy of Feng Shui Two. So got into the exhibit hall like right when it first opened, which they did the opening ceremony. And then uh, they had the safety guy come out and say, you know, we've never really had anybody injured. There's never been, like, any rushing or anything like that. But I want everybody to kind of chant together, don't run, and, and calmly walk into the the exhibit hall. And if we can get everybody to chant, don't run, like, in unison as you go through the doors, I'm sure it'll scare the crap out of the exhibit hall people. <laughs> Just because it's, you know, 60,000 nerds chaining don't run together as they slowly walk into a a um, a big-ass exhibit hall full of little shops and all that. I would so, pay to see that. It's it's pretty amazing. I'm sure they have videos somewhere. I will actually... Yeah, it's on YouTube, I think. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I'll have to send you guys some photos I took of the, the amount of nerds piled up out front. But it was that initially. Then I went. Most of my Gen Con was spent um, going to like panels and stuff like that. A lot of like the RPBR panels, and then doing some of the the meetups. So those are all really fun. We did the the RPBR meetup, and then went to the Delta Green panel the the first night, which was really cool. I uh, got to learn about a lot about the new Delta Green that's coming out, and then I got stuck in a demo game. I used the word demo very loosely. And that it was almost a complete run through of the last equation, run by Shane Ivy, and I, uh, and I got to play. I got to play with Greg Stolze and a couple other people. It was it was really cool, but it was a game that like you know was four hours at a panel that started at like eight. So I was up till like two o'clock in the morning playing this game, 
but it was fun. It was a lot of fun, and I think we only had one player die. Yeah, only one nice. player died. Well, that's awesome, man. I had no idea that that you got the. I heard about the uh, game that Shinobi yes. ran, but that's cool. So that was the first day. Um, I'm trying to think if there's. Uh, also, the first day when we got into the exhibit hall, which I kind of forgot because I'm kind of scatterbrained, um, got to talk to. Scott Glancy, Shane Ivey, Ken Hyatt, and Robin Laws. I went and saw the post-human guys a bit later, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, so. But, yeah, we got to talk to them. They're super cool, as always. Great to talk to. And, yeah, so that was the first day. Friday was, again, panels. I got to play in a game of uh, Sound of Water, which is a samurai samurai noir game. Um, which it's really cool. You should definitely check it out. It's um, it uses like a, a a gambling kind of system. So you bet how many dice you want to use, and then you hold certain ones to basically add like modifiers to the situation. So that's really cool. Yeah. So if you you roll a certain amount of dice to like to complete the task, and then you would take your 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 betted dice. To add modifiers to add like modifiers to the situation, um, which is really cool. Definitely check it out. So we did that. Uh, what else? Uh, and then uh, I got to play in a game of Red Markets, which was really cool. Yeah, I got to weld some doors open and shut, and got to kill a couple zombies. And then we had to kill one of our players because he got bit. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, he got bit and was starting to go crazy, so we just had to put him down. We got to do the uh, the encounter with the four-story tall uh, pyramid, or tower, rather, four-story tower of... Um, filing cabinets. Filing cabinets. Yeah. That got to happen. So while some of the other players were trying to climb that, I just stood there and watched. I was like, this is... This is turning out great because there's, you know, cinder blocks and drawers just falling open and then falling like, you know, a story and, and stuff. So that was really good. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. We got the playtest doc, so I really need to get on reading that so we can run a game. I'm about 40 pages in it right now. Cool. And for, yeah. and for those of you that are uh, unfamiliar with it, uh, Red Markets is a game by RPPR's. Caleb Stokes. It's in the uh, beta test right now, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And it's been released to members of the forums. And it's economic horror. It has zombies in it, but the Don't zombies let that, are... Yeah. <laughs> Don't let that scare you away. It's very much about economic horror, which is a very kind of A very weird genre. Yeah. Huh? Let's be it's honest. A, it's very... Yeah, it's a unique genre. Uh, we, we play economic horror every day. I mean, <laughs> we were just talking about childcare not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a nightmare. But so continue. Got to do that, and then since I purchased the Northern Lights package, which was the code name for the Delta Green Beta Version One document last year at Gen Con, I got into a game, another game with Shane Ivy, wherein I was trying to find out when it was supposed to be happening and where it was supposed to be happening. So I talked to Ross, and he gave me Shane's number, and I, I sent him a message like, hey, you know, this is Noah, where, where are we going to be doing this game, stuff like that. And then I proceeded to get a picture of a piece, a scrap of paper with a URL written in Sharpie on it that I then had to put into my phone that took me to a page that was an image that gave me the address. And then the moment I would go away from that page, it deletes the image forever. 
Nice. <laughs> so it's like some real serious, like, you know, OPSEC there. So I got that message at like 7.35. The game started at 8. So I had to book it like six blocks into the center of Indianapolis from the, the Indianapolis Convention Center to Monument Circle to um, the Columbia Club, which is like an old... I feel like you shouldn't be telling us this. Uh, it's operational security. Operational security. It's it's gone now. Um, <laughs> but it's basically um, an old school, like old school, old style gentleman's club that's been turned into a hotel that uh, I got to play a, a brand new game, a brand new scenario of Delta Green at, which is super cool. And I won't say anything about it, but it's it's it was probably one of my favorite games of Delta Green I've played so far. So, so that was my Friday. Saturday Saturday was my running of um, Delta Green. I'm a big Delta Green fan. I don't know if you can tell this. Um, uh, I got ran Convergence, which was the original Delta Green scenario, for three people. Um, I sold six tickets, but only three people showed up. But three people is actually kind of a good number for that scenario. And everybody died. So... I consider that a successful a win. game of Convergence. Yeah. Um, they never found the, the secret alien base. They just ran into the the town hall with, uh, the, with oh, the giant goodness. blob monster um, and managed to kill it. But then we were kind of out of time, and so we just kind of ended it there. So they all died because they couldn't stop the Mego. So. Sweet. So we did better than they did. Yes, but you guys also had a lot more time to play that. Hey, don't knock it, man. We made it. <laughs> um, so that actually went really well. Uh, all the players had a really good time. Uh, and then other than that, it was just kind of hanging out. Um, I got to play in a game of uh, Ross Payton's Ruin, which is his architectural horror game yeah, that he's that's... currently working on. Um, he's actually setting it up now so that it's going to be like a series of like kind of individual, almost like fiasco playset kind of games, where it's they use sort of like the same rules, but they're all set into like a very particular location. So the one we played at, we were at like a um, a, uh, a hotel that we all all the players go to the hotel, and we have like a particular document or something like that that's important to us that um, st- holds some sort of significance, and then we wake up in the hotel later, and we're all like close to each other and we're not on like the same floors and there's all sorts of crazy creepy stuff going on um nice. it was it was really fun it was really cool uh and yeah that was pretty much it the overall the big thing was just getting to hang out with a lot of the rppr crew and a lot of the rppr fans and uh getting to be a bunch of really cool game designers that i'm already fans of so awesome uh and then i left Sunday morning, so I missed Adam and Jason going. And that, and that is when that is when our tale begins. So <laughs> uh, we live um, driving distance to Indianap- uh, Indianapolis, but it's still what three three hours, Jason, two and a yeah. half or something for you. For me, it's about three three and a half. Yeah. So it was like four for me, probably because I had to drive to Jason's house. I think I woke up at six. At oh no, not six. Shit. I think I woke up at around four that morning, so that's when my day began, four a.m. And uh, when definitely I, better than the the twelve or thirteen I usually had to do when I was driving to Jengon. So <laughs> when you broke down in Hazard, Kentucky, when I broke, oh, I don't <laughs> want to talk about it. 
the first year, the first year we broke down on the way back in Hazard, Kentucky. If if only you'd known, I could have helped you. I'm yes, if only hour. I had known you then. <laughs> Maybe my friend wouldn't have had to buy a whole new car. Wait, to buy an entire car in Hazard, Cause, Kentucky? Because we drove up there in a VW. And then it broke down. We broke down in the mountains of Kentucky in a VW, like, I was like a Passat or a Jetta. I think it was a Jetta. So, nobody in the hills of Kentucky is going to know how to fix a VW. Not in Hazard, no. No. (laughs) So, we just ended up selling it and buying, like, a brand new Civic because everybody can work on a Civic. (laughs) <laughs> that 1969 Dodge Charger? Yeah, if you'd had the General Lee, sir, you, yeah. you would have been set up. That Oh, God, that whole situation was a nightmare. <laughs> and, sort of Aaron of Hazard. Yes, I, I was giving, I was just shooting daggers out of my eyes at my friend as he was buying this vehicle. Because I was like, if you don't fucking buy this car, I'm going to kill you because I have to get back home so I can go to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason, like you were the one driving, man, and I was just making shitty comments for all the way up to Indianapolis. So why don't you ta- why don't you take us into Gen Con? Yeah, yeah, we we uh, we went up there with four of us, um, and and we all met up at the house like crazy early, and uh, six, uh, six, yeah, and we drove up there, and um, uh, yeah, long ride going through the traffic in Louisville, all the road work. Um, cutting over and finding parking, which wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. We only parked like maybe a quarter of a mile away, um, if that. Um, it wasn't even that bad. It was like seven blocks, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, parked, found a spot like on the second floor of the parking garage, which was pretty sweet. Normally, it can be pretty crowded. I think uh, three years ago when I went, they had a biker rally at the same time as Gen Con. Yes, nice. there was a biker Oh, God, this year. <laughs> Uh, I didn't mention it because I was in the game at the time, but there was a One Direction concert at the same time. <laughs> yes, yes, there was. So it's almost as good as the cheerleader conference that happens every year during MegaCon. Oh man, <laughs> it's just a weird mixing of. There's pieces. always a weird thing that goes on. I mean, the the biker rally that year was was something special but it was a one direction concert. people were like driving around and making real loud noises with their bikes like yeah. all night long and uh you know gen con people can party but you put them in with some hardcore bikers and it's just i don't know that there was any booze left left in that town i mean it was just people were up all night but um this year it was pretty tame considering that we just went in for the dealer hall on sunday and uh, we got there for our opening, and they did the, you know, you're gathered around a bunch of people, and you're crammed in. Oh, I should start with, we got a family pass. So so when we got there, we got a uh, family pass for all four of us, and all four of us have different last names. Um, so, you know, I was up there, and they're like, so what's the name of your brother? And I'm like, uh, Adam. And, you know, it's a, we have a complex family. It's, his last name is Thornsburg. And, you know, so we kept going through, and I gave everybody's last name, and she was just kind of Did you just smiling. say you were from Kentucky, and they passed you on? <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice. She just smiled at me, and then the machine broke down. I'm like, am I getting in trouble for this? I thought, like, last time they were like, you know, just say you're a family and get a discount. So, um, you know, we did. Uh, that's, what, that's what I did, and they would only let one of us up there. So I'm standing up there by myself. Like, you know, yeah, those are my brothers over there. 
Um, you know, half, half brothers, uh, <laughs> that one I'm not sure about, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, they gave it to us and it worked out fine. The printer stopped the like ID printer stopped for a bit. And that's when I thought I was going to get like drug out of there by some like security guards dressed as Klingons or something. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was cool. They fixed it. They like hit on it a few times and it worked and printed stuff off. We, we got our badges and gathered with the throng, like the, just the horde of people going in. And they did, uh, you know, people were pretty friendly. They were talking and stuff. And people were making jokes as you were huddled together and compressed. And they had families kind of show up on Sunday. It was a big kind of family crowd, too. Uh, I think Sunday is the, the big family day. So, like, um, the, the people who do Catan and stuff like that, they have, like, a big event and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I know they've got, like, the foam swords and stuff for all the kids mm-hmm. to go and beat the crap out of each other with. And the little, like, Lord of the Flies ring they have built up there. But, um, yeah, so a lot of kids. No, keep, keep going. I'm just posting some pictures into the chat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good picture. There it is. Um, and they did the, you know, walk, don't run thing and the chanting and the opening. And then, you know, we walked in and showed our ID. And uh, the, the smell was there. And, and it was, you know, a pretty large crowd. Um, for Gen Con, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. Um, and you're squeezing through these little doors to get in. I literally like two, you know, they're pretty big, but it's really small when you're trying to squeeze through with a bunch of people. And, uh, yeah, then we hit the dealer hall and, uh, we did a walk around first to show everybody kind of what was there. And Adam got to see his, his first look at the dealer hall. Yeah. It's my first Gen Con. And he got his picture taken with Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, I wish I got my picture taken with, uh, that, what's that girl's name? Barb. That cosplayer? Oh, yeah, Bourbonnais. Um, I, I put Marie. the link there for you guys. Yeah, yeah, she's there every year. Um, and my buddy Ross, he just had a um, he had a, a stroke. He's only 33, and I wouldn't want to take him up there. He He's lost some judgment. He can't tell if women are prettier than other women. <laughs> so I think he's just there. He's in a picture with them at some point I put on Facebook, and he, I think he just knows they're supposed to be pretty. Um, <laughs> which they are. Um, well, but, the grass were sitting on his shoulders like a like a pirate's parrot. Yeah, they were Jesus just working on them. Um, she actually does some modeling for the miniatures there, the soda pop miniatures they've got. Yeah, she's she's. she's she, I usually see her whenever at the soda pop booth doing work, uh, being like a, a a booth girl for them. So yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff like that going on. Lots of artists I really like that. Um, I'm Margaret Weiss, who does Dragonlance. I read all the Dragonlance books as a kid, and I'm a huge fan of Margaret Weiss. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm happily married, but, uh, you know, for, what is she, like 80-something now? She's still, like, one of my, uh, she's, she's a lovely lady. Uh, she's your celebrity exception. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah. No, he's not shitting on that. Like, <laughs> we, we looked for her. We we were on the prowl for Margaret. And no, we then, found her. And you know what? I own all of her books, so I can't. Like, I normally I buy a book every time I see her, and uh, yeah, I own them all now. And um, so I had nothing to buy and get signed. So I was like, "Well, nice to see you." Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then, like at some point, it amazed me. Now, of course, no, I know this is no hat for you, but it amazed me just you're walking next to your friend and you turn around and they either took off down a different uh, different alley shit but you know different uh, row of vendors and all of a sudden you're alley, lost. alley is appropriate sometimes <laughs> there's the exhibit hall is a monster and it keeps getting bigger every year 
the when we our poor our poor friend Rob, like uh, we were afraid he would get lost mm. at one point in time, just you know, with uh, getting over the stroke and all. And I think we lost him twice, didn't we, Jason? To play the demos, and uh, so he, he's real big on that, and he just went off to do that. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, he just had a stroke a couple weeks ago. He's recovered. He recovered amazingly well. He's got some vision loss. He can't see to the left side of him. Uh, he's not allowed to drive yet, but uh, he's doing really, really well considering. But I was all like, okay, he's going to be out there, and he's got poor judgment skills right now. And I just <laughs> left him in in the dealer hall with that. That, that is probably not the best place to leave him. <laughs> so I did, I did like kind of have a mild panic attack and went looking for him. Um, but uh, no, he had a really great time and, and did well. And uh, you know, people are just so friendly there. I mean, all the people at the you know are trying to sell you stuff and. Mm-hmm. All the, you know, steampunk outfits and all that stuff. Those guys are really like, I mean, they try to put corset on anybody. It could be a dude and they're like, hey, this corset would look, with the spikes, it's going to look great on you. And I was like, no, no thank you. Um, Yeah. I've already got that at home. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, to move to move along there, we I've I've heard about this restaurant, but we went down to the Ram for lunch, which I was, it's kind of weird. I mentioned to you guys in the past that I've, I've just quit smoking and all that. And so you walk outside Gen Con where the food trucks are to make your way down to the Ram. And just it's you walk through this a cloud of smoke, which, you know, a year ago I wouldn't have paid attention or probably wouldn't have smelled it. But, you know, nowadays, so you wade through the, the cancer. You make it out past the burrito trucks and all that. And it's, what, a block or two to the Ram, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it's like a block down. Yeah, it's not bad. And we uh, had the D and D themed, or not D and D, but it's you know fantasy role playing themed mm-hmm. menus that were probably marked up. And uh, Jason was adventurous. He was adventurous, and I had to follow suit. We had a uh, bacon cheeseburger with jalapenos and peanut butter on it, which was better than mm-hmm. I thought it would be. Yeah, but I can see working. At the same time, I don't think I'll ever do that again. And, <laughs> It took an amazing amount of time to get the food there, but I also think they were hoping we would buy alcohol. The the beer they make there is wonderful. Like oh the uh, the Sun King. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, there's a oh gosh, they had a chocolate beer I had. I just like last time I went, I drank so much beer. We um, just waiting on the food. I mean, right? Yeah, I think that's totally their game plan there. <laughs> Because we it wasn't that crowded when we went in. Actually, I thought it was going to be packed. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's pretty packed. I've yet to actually eat at the Ram in the four years I've been going. Um, just because, like most of the times we try to go get food, it's like super jam packed. So, one place I have eaten a couple times at is uh, Palomino's, which is like down actually just down the street from the Ram, and that's actually really really good. But yeah, no, they've got a bunch of really cool places to eat up there. I just need to explore a little bit more, give myself some more free time. They do events there, too, at a lot of places. It might be the mm-hmm. ramp. They do drunken D&D. You drink and D- do role-playing. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's what I do every time. You, you buy tickets and you can go to it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the waitresses always dress up. Stuff like that. Right. That's cool. I know with the amount of people that they've been getting, the Gen Con is definitely trying to expand a bit more. I know when there was the whole controversy earlier this year about the Religious Freedom Act or whatever it was, they they talked in one of their press releases. They had talked about their plans to expand and expand into uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, 
which I find to be kind of hilarious because all I can think of is just like this big football field full of nerds playing tabletop games. It's just like the the ultimate oxymoron in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember that too. I guess we won't have to worry about them leaving. Hopefully, Indianapolis since uh, they're the they're Court. there until twenty twenty. I don't know because I know that whole situation kind of got defanged in some aspects. So yeah. I don't know if they're still thinking about moving after that point, but they might have to just because of like size. Like I don't know unless they just start adding more stuff onto the Indianapolis Convention Center. I don't know if they're going to be able to handle that many nerds with as much growth. Because I think it was like a 9% growth over last year, this year. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. That's a lot of nerds. Okay. Do, you, do you have any questions or comments, Chris? Um, well, uh, I'm actually curious to see how they did with like indie, like the indie scene on the, uh, in Gen Con. Because I know you've got like Paizo and you've got Pathfinder, yeah, and, like all the big names. But like w- one thing I'm really curious is if uh, they had No Soul Left Behind out. Uh, they did. Uh, Shane, Shane Ivy was selling it, wasn't he? Yeah, um, it was at the Arc Dream booth, which um, surprising the Arc Dream, um, Arc Dream slash Pagan Publishing booth and Pelgrim Press's booth were both like right up towards the front this year, which was yeah. I'm very happy for because those guys need all the support they can get. And they're actually right next door to the the um, the FFG, the Fantasy Flight Games booth. So all the nerds standing in the line that wraps around and then down the aisle trying to get into FFG. Like, oh, hey, there's a bunch of Cthulhu stuff. Check that out. <laughs> um, but yes, they had uh, No Soul Left Behind there for sale, both in hardback and softback. They even had uh, one of the, the people working the booth uh, cosplayed the front cover. So... Um, she was dressed up as the teacher, and she had like little horns and all that. So it was really, really cool. Okay, she wasn't there Sunday then. Uh, she was. I think that she was there at least Friday and Saturday. Okay. I to kind of go back on something. I was. I Jason got to meet Margaret, and I got to meet um, Adam Scott Glancy, which I don't know. I I know I've mentioned it to you guys a couple times before. I didn't mm-hmm. expect him to be that tall, even though I think he was maybe an inch taller than I am, and I'm six four, but. Uh, you got to <laughs> got to meet him. I, of course, I, I don't really linger too much when I meet these folks. I, I bought a. I was looking for some de- the old Delta Green stuff, and I picked up the uh, the uh, D twenty edition. Even though I don't plan on running the D twenty, but I wanted Delta Green. Right, something well, signed it, by him. It. Uh, I think that D twenty edition include it's the. BRP and D20 edition just combined into one. Yeah, it's it's you. It looks like it's glancing. It looks like it'd be easy to run it. Just straight up old school rules. Mm-hmm. Got to meet Robin D. Laws. Um, I've met mm-hmm. Kenneth Height, and he was busy. I spoke with Gareth uh, Ryder Hammerhan, or I think that's yeah. how you say his name, briefly, yeah. and all that. And I realized an important lesson. When I went to London, I picked up a Manchester United hat just as a souvenir, and I threw it on my head. And I know jack shit about soccer or Manchester United. Oh, dear. And then, and, like, there's people at the Pelgrim booth because all those people are from across the pond. And one of them was like, oh. I, don't like I don't like that club. And I'm like, oh, well, oh fuck. I, I, honestly, dude, I don't know shit about soccer. I just bought it. It's, it's a hat. It's on my head. I'm like, I can't, I can't talk to you about sports. But, so I, I got Robin D. Laws to autograph my uh, copy of Hill Folk, and I think that's the only two things that I that I purchased up there. I looked for Feng Shui, but I, I swear I think it was sold out by Sunday. I um, Feng Shui, did you check over at the Atlas booth? Yeah. Okay. 
it, it might have. I mean, I know they had only so much there, but um, yeah. But yeah, I picked up um, picked up Hillfolk. I picked up uh, the Core Book of Trails since I didn't have a physical copy of that. Double Tap the Zolajny Quartet. Yeah. Did you see Will Wheaton's thing, Titan Grave? Did that sell out like? Uh, I didn't really go looking for it because I'm not really a fan of Will Wheaton. So <laughs> there we go. We've lost yeah. Will Wheaton as a viewer. Early. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, he he has he's done some okay stuff, but I'm just he's not really my my cup of tea. Um, <laughs> what else did I pick up? I picked up Bumps in the Night, which was Pagan Publishing. Uh, I picked up Firewall and Transhuman. And the uh, morph recognition cards, which are going to be handy. That's that's the the big stuff. I picked up the expansion for World of Doom, and then I picked up like some some buttons and stuff. I I got a a bone solvent pin. Nice from the lovely Jen Granis and George Granis from uh, Eclectic Eccentricities. They're RPPR fans as well, so they had a bunch of those that they were giving out. So. Uh, but yeah, that was that was my my swag report for that. Awesome, Jason. Did you buy anything? Um, what did I buy? I bought a, bu- a bunch of Paizo stuff. I'm in a campaign for Mummy's Mask, so I bought the uh, little picture cards for each uh, notable character in Mummy's Mask, just so I would I quit having to print stuff off, and I could just give it to them. They can write notes on the back. And I picked up um, condition modifying cards, so if you're staggered or bleeding or whatever. I've got conditions, and I can just, instead of looking them up, I just give them the card and say, guess what, you're staggered, so, you know, enjoy these negatives, and I don't have to, I don't have to look things up for them every time, so that really, really expedites the game, and most of the stuff you know already, but it just saves you from looking up stuff um, when you have quick little cards like that sitting out on the game table. Um, and then, yeah, I didn't, I didn't spend a whole lot of, of money this year. Probably I keep spending less and less each year. Right. Uh, because I'm a family man and I, I, uh, have more important things to spend money on, like daycare. Um, yeah. economic <laughs> horror. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but you know, um, normally like I buy like a paperback from Margaret Weiss or something like I get a couple books and even right. like the, the um, Troll and Toad kind of bookstores and stuff like that. Occasionally they have stuff on sale that I grab. Um, it's really Sundays when they discount everything, so it's a really good day to go. And yeah, things. So, you know, there there was a lot of stuff I wanted to buy, um, but just passed on this year. I just got enough to kind of, um, you know, make game playing more fun for the stuff mm-hmm. I do. So. Yeah, totally. That's, that's definitely sort of a, a, a little trick is that so long as you're not looking for anything – like really exclusive. Yeah. Like the last day is probably actually the best day to do shopping because they're just trying to get rid of all as much stuff so they don't have to ship it all back. I paid twenty bucks for that Delta Green book. Yeah. Hardback and it's I think he sold it for fifty. I looked on eBay and it's fifty. Yeah. Yeah. No. Those uh, those Delta Green books will go for a pretty penny if uh, online when you can just buy them like you know dirt cheap almost at yeah. the booth. So, but yeah, I one other thing I did see was the um, Kingdom Death board game booth, which was really cool. They were actually running some demos of it, and they had a bunch of display cases full of all the, the really nice, high-quality minis and stuff like that, so that's pretty cool. It's, it was enjoyable overall, and I, I'm going to have to go back next year and try to do it for a couple more days, so hopefully Jason and I 
arrange a course if school starts early. I'm I'm shot, but right. no. Uh, definitely, I'll try to catch next Saturday. I, I really regret I'm missing out on a lot of the panels. I've never played a con game before. I was looking, I would love to be able to jump into one of those. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about you, Jason? What do you? What's your plans for next year? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd probably go for a day or two. They've got, uh, I've got friends that are really into the painting classes and they've done all those. Uh, I like, you know, the minis thing is too expensive for me, but I've got a few right. I a bunch, but it's you know it's fun painting and stuff. I don't mind doing that. I like the author ones. Um, those classes, if I get on like the you know how to write uh, non-human human characters, they had one. They had a bunch of authors up there, and uh, they had one of the authors was a tax attorney who does like sci-fi, fantasy, romance stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, she was pretty fun to listen to. Um, so anything like that, I'm kind of interested. Like you know, writing, creating stuff like that. Uh, it's always kind of fun to just sit in. I write for a living, so anything that's you know creative is kind of nice. Although mine's typically not uh, fantasy filled. It's it's uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but you know stuff like that. I'm really into. Uh, I, I did like the costume contest they do on Saturday. You get into a room full of people. Oh yeah, totally. And I know some people that go to the Innies every year, which is mm-hmm. like a big award ceremony. And I, I've got a friend that has his own publishing company, uh, Good Devil Press, uh, Matt Stinson. Uh, he, he's got that, and he's actually published a few things, Amazons and stuff like that, uh, through his third-party publishing, you know, Pathfinder and stuff like that. And, right. Um, so he goes every year, and I've got a, I've got four or five friends that are competing, I think, this year in the uh, RPG Superstar which is pretty nice through Paizo, which you create. I think they start you off, you create like an item that's, uh, that doesn't exist in their world, and it has to be like a unique item, and the one who creates the best one, uh, there's few people who do that, they move on, and then you create more and more of a scenario um, until, you know, it gets to the end, and they pick who's the RPG superstar, and they, you know, they get to use whatever <laughs> whatever you came up with in one of their uh, campaigns. Um but that that's pretty cool, and I know a lot of people that are doing that this year. Um, cool. Awesome. What about you, Noah? What's plans for next year? Next year, I think plans for next year will probably be kind of similar to this year, just kind of go up there, maybe play one or two games, go to some panels, and then just kind of hang out. I think that's my, my biggest thing right now is just going up there and just kind of soaking it all in, especially since I don't really get a lot of, like, face-to-face games and stuff like that now since I, since I, I moved. Um, so yeah, so just going up there and it, it being my my mecca almost, my yearly trip. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just going to go up there, hang out, probably spend way too much money on some stuff and, mm-hmm. uh, and just hang out with some friends. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll be doing the same recording this time next year. Hopefully, and, and hopefully I get to see you guys there. Awesome. That would be great. I guess to sign off this episode, uh, thank you guys for listening. My name is Adam Thornsberg. Uh, Jason Apollo Hart. And I'm Noah Card. And Chris had to leave to pick up his wife from work. And uh, we thank you. <laughs> also, a special thanks to Ghost Mice for allowing us to use their song Critical Hit as our intro and outro of the podcast. Thank you. i
Let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it roll.